you don't do this whole hashtag blessed thing. <laughs> oh my God. Do you know what I Has mean? Has anyone tried to raise three little kids? You're not blessed. You're distressed. Hashtag distressed. I'm blessed. That's the most stupid thing I've ever heard. This week on Walking the Dog, I went for a stroll with hilarious stand-up comic, Sindhu V. Sindhu has a Frenchie called Bola and a Labrador, actually, but he stayed at home. Well, he's an elderly gentleman of leisure now. But Bola was an absolute delight, as was his owner. Sindhu has a fascinating backstory. She was a successful high flyer in the world of finance and then busy raising her kids when suddenly in her 40s, she decided to try her hand at comedy and it turned out she was a total boss at it. She got nominated for Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Festival and went on to win a ton of fans with her appearances on Have I Got News For You, QI, Live at the Apollo and Mock the Week. Cindy's a real force of nature. She's honest and very quick-witted, but she's also just a lovely human being. We talked about her childhood and her absolute passion for dogs growing up in India, her parents, especially her fabulously straight-talking mum who crops up in her comedy a lot, her really refreshing views on parenting And she even made me well up a bit by sharing an incredible piece of wisdom she learned whilst growing up in India about the relationship we have with dogs. Sindhu's touring later this year, and I really urge you to go and see her live as she's such a naturally gifted comic. The show is called Alphabet and she'll be all over the country from May this year. So do go and book your tickets now. All the info is at sindhuv.com. I adore Sindhu and I know you will too. So enjoy our chat and please remember to rate, review and subscribe without any more faffing. Here's Cindy and Bola. Baburam, tell him walk back. So I only speak to dogs in Hindi, which means in the park people are like, what the fuck is, you know? And I mean, but thank God, because, you know, I'm a Hindu, so, you know, so I'm always like, Chalo Babu, ye kar people, and the dogs listen to me, because all dogs are born with Hindi, and people don't accept this. They're like, oh, my dog loves you. I'm like, because I'm talking Hindi. What, what do you think? You see, I have a theory that my dog, my dog is Shih Tzu, and I have a theory that... The butt of all this jokes weird, at the age of when children are eight, <laughs> eight years old. Yes, they, they come home and say, Mommy, and I'm like, oh, it's a Shih Tzu joke. Okay, let's have it. Come on. My kids are always like, it's just a matter of days before you're cancelled, mate. I'm like, okay, mate. Then I'll just go back to taking care of you, mate. Morons. But literally, you can get cancelled for anything if you're over the age of 20. You can't get cancelled, though. No, because I'm brown and a woman. <laughs> they won't cancel me easily. Unless I go down Preeti Patel's road, which is insane. Let's go down here. Come on, buddy. We need a snack though before I start hyperventilating and having a seizure. I mean, it won't be a real seizure, but I'll feel like it's a seizure. Tell me, should we try the cafe and see if it's open, Cindy? I mean, there's a man walking out with a coffee, so let's, I think there's a good chance. Is this all getting recorded? Holy shit. Can you tell I'm a little hyper? Just a little? Well, should I introduce the podcast and then we'll get some food? Yeah, so, and I'll stop talking. No, I, that would, I don't want you to stop talking, well, you don't Cindy. just take a breath. That's the point. We're in London's Regions Park. And this is the dog snorting because he's half Bartabelli pig and half dog. Can you hear this? I'm with Bola. The, he's a French bulldog. He's a French bulldog. I think he's got Boston Terrier mixed in, but my kids think it's rude if I say that. I think he's got Disney character mixed in. He's got pig mixed in <laughs> and bat. Have you seen those ears? 
This is Bola, and I'm with his very fabulous owner, Cindy V. And I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, Cindy. So, Cindy, where should we go? Should we head off? This is your manor, Regent's Park, isn't it, St it's, John's It's Wood? kind of my hood, yeah. It's my park. It's, I've been bringing the children here for... How long have I had kids? 19 years, I guess, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, 18, 19 years. Um, there's a lot of crackling, but i got to eat. Uh, yeah, no, it's... And Regent's Park is very... You know, you never get bored because it's all different bits and there's a rose garden and this and that. So, yeah, no, this is my... This is my go-to park. Here comes a go-to Doberman. Why don't we move over here, Bowler, since you have absolutely no idea of how to behave with other dogs. Just say hi. Just say hi. Do not get excited. Let's Cindy, go. why has that Doberman got... What's he got horns on him? No, he's got ears, you know, because when you grow them, if they're, if they're, if they're going to be uh, show dogs, then their ears have to stand up, so they put a little stick in between. Is that why? Yeah. It's also, like, that's very... I, I grew up with a lot of dog knowledge. A lot because I had no friends. So, uh, and is this in India? Mm-hmm. In Delhi, Lucknow. Um, but my parents always had dogs, and my grandfather had fourteen dogs, but they were husband-wife, so there were seven couples. And so my mother grew up in a family with a lot of dogs, but they didn't, they didn't make it a big deal. Yeah. They were like, we got a dog. So, I always had dogs. I was also. I'm naturally unafraid of dogs. So by the time I was 10, I'd been bitten 13 times by dogs. So, and I would just show up at the a with my dad and they'd be like, yep, rabies, off you go. Like they just knew me at the a And my mother used to threaten me. She would say, if one dog more bites you, I will kill you. So it was a weird thing, but I was so attracted to, like I just wanted to be with dogs. And we had two dogs. I'll never forget, I was, maybe six and my mom she used to go to university then and she came home one day and she took all the shopping like groceries out of the car and then she said to me in the front of the car in the well there's a box there's a puppy there's a puppy go and get it and there's a shoe box a little white dog and I was like and I think that was my first like that was the first dog that had been in our home in my memory yeah and she was white and there's these white flowers that are very fragrant in India they're called champa so we called her Champa. But tragically, she became my elder sister's dog. And because my elder sister doesn't really like me or didn't like me, the dog hated me too. So the first dog to bite me was Champa. She attacked my thigh and was trying to run away. She was hanging off my thigh. And I was saying, Champa, Champa. And she was like, hang off my thigh while I'm running around the house. And my sister was like, go, Champa, go. What, encouraging her? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, then, then, then one day, mommy came home and said, I got a husband for Champa. Because, you know, in India, I always want to marry off everybody. So oh, I got a husband for Champa. the dogs off. I love this. All my grandfather's dogs had weddings, the seven couples. They all had weddings. Yeah, yeah, it was like a proper thing. I don't think people appreciate how important we consider marriage. So then she brought home another white dog who was a Spitz, so slightly bigger than Champa. Spitz, yeah. And he was called Torchy. But he loved me, and he was my dog. And Torchy and I... I cannot begin to express to you. I had a stammer, I had no friends, but I had Torchy. Him and I hung out all the time. We did math together, which is why my math is terrible. Um, we did a lot of things. And then, and I think this is what's most important about this story, is Torchy got sick one day. Um, we took him to the vet. My mother was in America, so my father took him to the vet. 
And the vet said, come back tomorrow and get him. And my father couldn't go with me the next day. So we had a housekeeper and she and me, or she and I, we took a jeepney. They're these special public transport, uh, you know, sort of little taxis, yeah. co communal taxis. And we went all the way. I'd never been so far away from my house in not my parents' car. And we went and the vet wasn't there, but there was an open gate and you could see the dogs in cages. And I could see Torchy had his back to me. And I shouted, Torchy, Torchy. He died. He had meningitis. So I was the only kid in my fourth grade class who knew what meningitis was because the vet told us. Yeah. But I have to tell you, the loss of a dog at that age is very, um, it's very instructive. Is it? Do you think, how old were you then? Nine. Why do you think it's instructive? Because you understand loss, you understand grief. You don't know that that's what you understand, but you are going through it. Circle of life, I suppose. Exactly, and you yeah. realize that things happen. Yeah. Things happen. You're going to say hi, Bowler, or are you just going to... No, this one's reacting to dogs. He's not very friendly. Oh, well, Bowler, did you I hear that? He's getting better, like, he can walk past the dog without his nose, but sometimes uh, he's a little rescue of Adibon, so... He's, he's ever so sweet, He's though. lovely, though. I like his, his name. Barty. Barty. Bowler. Lola. Bo Bowler. Barty like and the Bowler. Oh, right. They sound like a sort of 1960s comedy duo, Barty <laughs> and Bowler. <laughs> Nice to meet you, Barty. And talk me through your present day dogs. Mm. You have, we've got Bola today, who's how old? <laughs> he's just turned a year old. He's a basically a lockdown puppy. So he's like birds, people, ducks, blah. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> he's chasing pigeons. He's a year old. What is that, Bowley? And why is he called Bola? Because see that mark on the top of his head? Mm. The lady said, oh, the kennel club calls this a hat. So I said, <coughs> because I'm intelligent and... <coughs> excuse me for choking on your podcast. <laughs> I said, let's call him Bowler for Bowler Hat. And um, everyone in the family said, okay. And then the next day, my son started calling him, oi, oi. And my elder daughter started calling him Poopy because she had to clean his poop. And then the baby, our youngest, started calling him Janice. And I was like, Janice? And she said, yeah, with an S, not like the Janice from Friends. I'm like, you've seen Friends? Like, the whole thing was so crazy. I love his red puffer. He needs it. He doesn't like the cold. Does he not? Yeah, he's, oh, he's not, not like our... I don't like the cold. Yeah, but like our other dog, who's a lab, is like, I'm a dog, I'm an outdoor animal. Bowler's like, I'm a moth. I refuse <laughs> to be outside. You have a Labrador as well. We have a lab called Crunchy. Yellow Lab, who's going to be 13 in Feb. And the reason he's not here with you is because he can't walk that much now. He walks, but not like this. But this park, this is where Crunchy came, and this is where he was trained, and this is very much a Crunchy moment. In the sense, and also Crunchy has perfect recall, because really? he's intelligent. Yeah. Unlike someone here who has to be on a lead, because instead of recall, the only thing well, that works- I'm glad you said on a lead. I thought you were saying unlike someone here, and then you were looking in my direction. <laughs> People say to me, how's Bowler's recall? I'm like, depends how much cheese I have with me. No one told me how much dogs love cheese. When I, yeah, I think, but by the way, can I just say, I think Bowler is very confused by these water birds. He's like, wait, Bowler, what is what's happening? what's going on? Because we should say, do you want to talk us through the scene, Sindhu? What have we got here? We've so got... we're standing in Regent's Park where the big pond is, and there's duck and geese and other waterfowl swimming by. How do you feel about birds? They're cool. Okay. Birds are nice. I mean, 
Birds are birds. So, Tom, when we got back to India, my father worked in the government, and part of the work that he had to do was to visit the Tibetan refugee camp called Happy Valley mm. up in Masuri in Uttar Pradesh. And as a token of their great appreciation, after we went to visit them, we came home, we and I lived in Lucknow. And one day a lady showed up, and she had this little red dog, and she said, this is from the Dalai Lama's niece, and it's as a token of our appreciation. And we've already named him, he's from the temple, his name is Tashi, hmm. which means good luck. That's how we got our third dog. Because Torchi had passed away in Manila and Champa stayed back. Yeah. Tashi was, I was like, oh, I have a dog, that's all I want. My mother was like, don't get bitten by this dog because I will kill you. Hmm. One day me and Tashi are outside in the patio of our house. There's a flash and an eagle has come and picked Tashi up and is flying away. And I am, I don't know what to do because this wingspan on this thing was huge. So I start screaming in random screaming, not like yeah. eagle, just Bleh! And I run towards the eagle, it drops Tashi. And Tashi has a hole from this hip to this wow. hip. So I immediately gather him up, tie it up, run screaming through the house. We drive to the vet, they stitch him up. And so for his whole life, Tashi used to walk like this. And my mom said, you know, I think the eagle thought he is a rabbit. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but that still didn't make it cool. She said, Are next time don't be so stupid to leave outside the dog. Get inside. <laughs> Look at how excited Bowler is by these large birds. I know, Bowler. Listen, dude, you're no mermaid, so stay on this side, please. <laughs> Bowler's no concept. <laughs> he's having such a good time. Oh, he's really enjoying himself, Cindy. He is. Oh, Cindy, look. A Dalmatian. They're real Disney dogs, aren't they? Cruella de Isn't that Cruella de Sorry. Lovely Wonderful. dog. Thank you. Meanwhile, Bowler hasn't even noticed. Have you seen? <laughs> Have you seen? That's why he's part big, part bat. He didn't notice. So oh. we got Bowler in January of this year, not knowing that we were going to have a lockdown. Oh, he's absolutely beautiful. Well, I'm really excited to have you, Cindy, because I've heard about you and seen you, and I love your work, and suddenly... I feel you're sort of, you know, a, a really big part of the comedy scene and mm. you're this comic everyone's talking about. But it's been a, quite a quick process. It feels like quick to, to me. It probably doesn't to you because you've worked damn hard. But uh. um, I want to go back a bit to where it all started. How would you describe your family life? I would say at one level, you know, my parent, my father was a professional. He was an engineer who then joined the civil service. I grew up... Uh, I don't remember zero to five, I just don't. But after that, when we went to Manila, they were expats. There was a big Indian community, Indian, Pakistani, South Asian community. They were part of that. My father worked at the Asian Development Bank. My family life, see, I had an elder sister who was six years older than me. And, you know, we went to the international school. I think in some ways it was like a pretty regular Indian household. But the one big difference was my parents, my mother was a North Indian, my father was a Tamilian, a South Indian. Right. And I had ne we never came across that. It was very unusual. Really? Mm, because they didn't have a, what in India we call love marriage, which here is called marriage. Um, they didn't have a fully arranged or a fully love marriage. So it was unclear to me from a very young age what was going on. That was one thing I always remember being like, oh, I'm, I'm a different kind of Indian. Because it, well, there were two languages at home. There was two kinds of food at home. Yeah. And my father was very, sort of very... 
My father was a really fun dad, but very strict. But he wasn't around a lot, you know. So like at the dining table, you couldn't say what. That was, you had to say, I beg your pardon, or you had to have something to say. You couldn't just be like, what? And he had this fear that we would turn very American because we were at the American schools. So it was very strict about that stuff. My mother... Who you talk about a lot, your a mother, lot. In, your, in your comedy, don't you? I think the greatest thing about my mother, which I'll say, which is not about, well, let me put it this way. When I was growing up, she was very, she was super fun, but she was super angry. You never knew what was going to happen, but she was very fun. So I think as a child, you thought, well, this is a maniac. I mean, what exactly is going on? But in hindsight, having been married as long as I have and getting to know my mother very well, my mother was, without a shadow of doubt, an extremely extraordinary woman for her generation without a platform to express that. So what happened was, mummy was busy doing all these amazing things. She was an amazing cook and then she organized the South Asian events at the ADB and she did this and she was doing her MSc in psychology. What she wasn't doing was being a super stable, stay-at-home how are you, my darling? Have you had a good day at school kind of mom? And uh, so my dad did that. And so he always came across as the nicer parent because he actually asked us things. My mother was always just telling us things. There was no dialogue, only monologue. Um, so I think when I was growing up, I was the youngest in a family where, you know, you have a relatively strict father, quite conservative in some ways. Um, you have a mother who's very busy being all the things starting with a good wife and you have an elder sister who is really quite a, be, is becoming an American child yeah. much to the chagrin of her parents and then you have me <laughs> who I was like okay I no one absolutely nobody paid attention to me at all until I screwed up which I did regularly so it was a lot of <laughs> <laughs> negative attention that I ran away from by just right. not like just trying to be smaller and smaller so I wouldn't get caught in that yeah, whole thing yeah. um, but my father had a lot of time for me he had a lot of time for my I always wanted to tell jokes but because I had a crazy stammer these jokes took hours and it was embarrassing for other people they were mortified I'd be standing there going ha, 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 ha. my mother thought it was irritating she used to take a sheet of paper out at the dining table and say just write it we do not have, just shut up and write it. She just had no patience. She thought if I just put my mind to it, I'd get over it. And I did, but I think, so I think my childhood was sort of, it was, I wasn't the center of the story. Sounds like your mom was quite a sort of extrovert as well. And yeah, massive. Yeah. And we had to fall in line with that. But I, but I will say that my father took keen... I mean, look, my, my father taught me to tie my shoelaces, play badminton, ride a bike. He taught me everything about flowers and dogs. He was so into dogs, which is unusual for a South Indian Brahmin. But he loved them, so we would pore over books about dogs. He really indulged my interest in dogs. He never minded taking me to a &E when I was getting bitten by random dogs. He would tell my mother to knock it off. Because what would happen in the Philippines was there were these gates... All the, and this all, is you, because you moved after your dad's work, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. All these houses had gates, and there was a gap between the sidewalk and the gate, and dogs would put their noses out, and I would go touch them and then get, lose a hand regularly, you know? And so I don't know that I... I think also because I wasn't close to my sibling. Oh, hello. Who are you? 
He looks an like Irish wolfhound, isn't he? A tiny Irish wolfhound. So, and because my sister and I weren't close, she was six years older. Yeah. And I was a very annoying sibling. <laughs> so I think, you know, so I, I feel like in those Manila years, I was a bit of a loner. Uh, I also didn't look like anyone in my class. I was the only brown kid in my class. I had a stammer. I wanted to tell jokes. Can you think of anyone more annoying? <laughs> I just... You know, and so, and my mother, my mother had a policy of not indulging us in terms of clothing and so on, because like most... Were they, were they quite wealthy? Or no, parents? but that's the thing is they were very frugal because they had to save money for their families and pay because they were professionals. And so everything was being saved. So I had to wear like jelly sandals from the supermarket and all the other kids had like Adidas. My father saved all his money for us. Really? For our marriages, for, you know. Marriages, of course, They yeah. thought clothes were, you, just, you needed good clothes, but not lots of clothes and not fancy clothes. They don't understand brands, you know. They just were like, what is this? I quite like that about them. Oh, no, I was I was <laughs> they raised... They were right, it turns out, Cindy. They I was raised very frugally, very frugally. And my Are father, you still frugal now, do you think? Well, my father was so disappointed when I decided to join investment banking. He said to me, but I thought, because he said, but you are not going to help society. He was very, he, so we were raised like that. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I need a visa. And my mother was like, very good. Because my mother would have liked to have so much more money. She oh, would say to my dad, very good. Because now she can have Mercedes Benz, unlike me who only had a stupid Indian car. So she was, my, and because my mother came from feudal landlord money. So she was so happy, like she was so happy when I became a banker because she said, you, she used to say, because for a woman, money is power. She's right though. Yep. And I used to be like, okay, can we just get a coffee? Like, we had, why are we, because in Starbucks, coffee is so expensive, but you can afford because you have a power. I'm like, it's just a coffee. Honestly, can we just go in now, please? <laughs> Getting these minor lectures every time. <laughs> Tell me, were you brought up by an Aya? Yeah, Ama. But that was from zero to five because she was Nepalese and I called right. her mother. I thought she was my mom. So I used to call her Amaji. And my mother wanted to go, she, she wanted to work. And all over the world, if a woman wants to work, she needs help with kids. Yeah. So she was like, I'll recruit her. Sort of like an older lady who's often uneducated, but very good with kids, you know. So it's not a nanny nanny. Yeah. Are quite, you know, nannies are like governesses in India. Yeah. But no, this is like an ayah. She's like a house help who takes care of children. Ama had had 10 children that had died in succession in Nepal, which is not unusual. But her husband had kicked her out and said, you're a witch, so you can't touch kids. So obviously, she didn't want to work with kids. And my yeah. mother, being the master manipulator and quite frankly liar, <laughs> managed to get this woman into the house, leave me and leave, and left her for half a day and said, well, something's going to happen. And when she came back, Amma had tied rags around her hand and was, I was three weeks old and was taking care of me because oh, I was a baby. Yeah. And she, for the first month, she worked with rags because she thought if she touches me, I'll die. I ended up living, <laughs> and so I, I saved Amma and Amma saved me because my mother was very postnatally depressed, her brother had died. In urbanized, in, in the rapid urbanization of India, a lot of rural folk wisdom was set aside. And so I remember women, be, village women that used to work or whatever would know when a woman was unhappy and they would say, she has sadness. And they dealt with it. But in the cities, it was yeah. like, take a pill, what's wrong with you? Yeah. You have a nice house, what's your problem? So I think my mother got caught because she came from a rural background, but yeah. she wasn't around those people. 
So I think she got caught. Um, but my mother went on to become a therapist and she understood then. Mm. So she was able to circle back and say to me, oh, now I know why I was not attached to you. <laughs> she once said to me, I used to think it's because you're a very ugly child, you know, and you look so much like your father and you know, I hate him. So I thought maybe that's why I don't like this baby. But no, I love you. I was just having a postnatal depression. I'm like, oh God, I was 20, in my 20s when she told me, I'm like, well, thanks for saying. But you know what, <laughs> I always think, it's never too late to have insight and a revelation. And it's, I don't know, it's always good to hear that. I'm glad you got to hear that in a way. Yes, you know, I Sort think, of making sense of stuff in your childhood. I think every child is willing to give their parent an infinite amount of time if it means their parent one day sees them yeah. and owns what they were not able to do for them. It liberates you as a child. And I think my mother was so good at that. Mm. She took ownership. She said, I want to own all my shits. And I was like, don't say it like that. Just say all my shit. I want to own all my shits because then you can be free. And I think she did that, you know, throughout my life. And I think that's also why I had a very complicated childhood, but I don't, I carry it lightly. You know, because they say, well, first of all, I had unconditional love from zero to five, thanks mm. to Amma which my mother also didn't interfere with yeah. because she knew that was important. That was one thing. The second thing is she kept circling back as she did therapy and understood and yeah. kept saying, oh, wait a minute, that was my fault. I was biggest shithead. This woman you talk about, it feels, I know, I'm so sorry because I know you lost her not that long ago, but it feels like she's here. Every time you talk yeah. about her, yeah. I so have a vivid image of your mother. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, I think... I think it helps that my mother and I had a very, have a very similar personality. We like, she, she is the person I used to observe telling jokes. And people at every party, at every gathering, people would come to her and she'd say, let me tell you one joke. And then she would tell the joke and then she would go and cook. Or, and she always looked like a million bucks. So I recognized the immediate intimacy of humor yeah. in my mother. And she would, people would, literally, she was famous for that. You know what? My mother was so many different things in the course of my lifetime in front of my very eyes mm. that the thing I think is the b biggest blessing is we talked about it all. She gave me that space and that permission to come at her with the worst. I mean, I, I threw my mom out of my apartment in Montreal. I was like, get out. So she packed her stuff and got a friend to come pick her up. And the next day she called me and said, so what are you doing today? <laughs> she just didn't make me... Because I think guilt and parenting so often go together. Of course. And she really released me from that, which, which meant that I could get to know her as a person. And then, you know, and she's... What do you think also with parenting? I always think your parent has to remain solid, you know, yeah. so that you're reacting and behaving yeah. weirdly and chucking people out of apartments and, and the next day they're solid they're like I'm still here yeah yeah 100% and it's rare in Indian parents you know things are very conditional I don't want to you know say that for the whole country but Indian culture there's a lot of respect there's a lot of hierarchy there's a lot of expectations all of which I've lived through so for my mother to then change I mean don't get me wrong she wasn't like it wasn't like I could behave any way I wanted she still had very high expectations of me but rather than just telling me what to do she stood by my side yeah you know she came for all my all the children's births she did all the nights 
all the nights with the children, you know, because she said, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I know what it's like. You know, there's those people who are like, you're like, do you, do you want to get a coffee? They're like, sure. And then you're like, actually, you, I, let's get tea. Okay. Yeah. How about some cake? Fine. Uh, pizza. Very good. I mean, <laughs> it's always very chill. Yeah. And I think that's, I have that, I have a little bit of that from her. Less and less though, as I get older, I'm like, I'm having coffee, nothing else. But I think I have that from her. And I think my love of dogs comes from, or not, not my, my ease with yeah. dogs. Yeah. My mother used to say to me, Jojeev, a being that relies on you for food come, is like God, because it keeps you present. Never forget that. Don't, just because they can't do it themselves, that's 100 times more why you have to do it first. And I think that's a very important lesson in that, you know? Cindy, I mean, I know you must have been academic when you were growing up because of your quite impressive record. Because you, you went to Oxford, didn't you? Mm. Um, and you went to university in, in America as well? Canada and America, yeah. In Canada and America. So you must be pretty clever. Was well, that... I had to be. I didn't have a choice. Mummy was like, you better get straight A's. You, you know there's a stereotype of South Asian parents. It's not that much. It's true. And also in my case, it was doubly important because my father was, was, you know, always did very well at university and like he was a genius kind of, and all of that side of the family, they all playing chess at the age of two. And uh, I think for my mother, it was important that even though she hadn't, she wasn't from that kind of system where they all were getting such good grades and they were so intelligent and math geniuses. She came from a family that <laughs> were futile and not very academic. I think she wanted her children to be able to... She wanted to hold her head up high to yeah. that side of the family. But also, South Asian parents were just like, you're going to school, you better do well. And so what happens? You come home, you get a B. Oh, is, God. Is that a bad thing? Is that? Oh, God. Even the thought of it's making me nervous. <laughs> no, you'd get a proper thrashing. They'd talk about it for days. They'd talk about the shame. They'd talk... My mother would say, why didn't I die before this day? The whole thing was completely chaotic. And were you funny when you were younger? You said you would make... I get this impression of you being quite... I like to tell jokes. Did you? All the time. All the time. Since the time I was very young. People I meet when I'm... Like, I met some people when I was in my 20s and I hadn't seen them since I was four. And I remember the first thing she said to me is, I still remember the joke you tried to tell me when you were four. It took a long time because of your stammer. I was like, ugh. I'll say one thing about being a very young child and trying to make people, especially strangers, laugh. I think when I saw people laugh at things I was saying, I felt that everything was okay. And if everything is okay, then when you're a child, you're okay. So, you know, so there was that when I was little. There was a lot of positive, uh, you know, affirmation when someone laughs at your jokes. Um, as for academics, it wasn't a choice. It was, yeah. you know, I was, I wasn't into studies. I wasn't very serious. I just got good grades because I couldn't take the shit at home. And then I got to a certain age, I finished school, went to university, and mommy said, you have to get married soon because, you know, you're not that academic. Like, you don't care about... But you went to Oxford. <laughs> well, uh, and that's why I went, is because I went to Delhi University, and I was kind of like, well, I guess I'll do political science or whatever. And then mommy was like, well, you have to get married because you don't have an ambition career-wise. So I said, okay. And, you know, arranged marriage is not, it's not forced or anything. But prior to that, but then you'd had this thing where you were asked to model in... Oh, Paris. God, that was in the middle. Yeah, no, no, no. I was at YSL, had come to India, and they saw me, and they asked me to do it. And 
my father was like no and my aunts were like yes and so I did it I opened their show did in you? India have you got the picture still? No, because I was mortified. Because I Were to, you why? Well, because I was from Delhi and the way they dressed these models up, I thought we looked hideous. They put all this big makeup. And I thought, what is this? I was used to Bollywood, you know? I wanted to look like one of them. I ended up looking like some kind of thing from a carnival. So I didn't take... And, then, and, and there was a lot of angst about it. My father was like, you know, modeling is not a serious thing for a young lady to do. And um, I suppose my father's family is very academic. And so... I did that and then they asked me to come to Bombay and then to Paris. My father was like, absolutely not. I was quite scared of my parents. I was, we were a strict family. Then I went to university and then everyone in university, because India was a closed economy, you know, you mm. either became a doctor or engineer or joined the civil service. So my friends, my generation in India was the most biggest change, right? Because yeah. we weren't as conservative as our parents, but we didn't yet have the freedom of an open economy. So a lot of my friends then started applying and leaving and going to America and this and that. And, but then my friends all started leaving and they started coming back and saying, oh, we're going to go to America, I'm going to Yale. Because you have to remember, we would have to get funding. Our parents yeah. couldn't afford it. But I had a friend who said, oh, I have applied and I'm going to Oxford to do something called PPE. And I'm like, is there an exam? She was like, nope, there's just an interview. And I was like, oh my God, I've got to do it. And I remember saying to her, where is Oxford? Is that like in Cambridge? Those were my words. Is that like in Cambridge? I didn't know anything. I just knew like brides had revisited, you know. So I signed up to do that stuff. When I decide to do something, I get behind it. I want to know, I'm interested in that thing with the marriage thing with your mom because it sounds Oh, I, she kept introducing, I, I was meeting boys right up until I was 25. All over the world, she would find boys and wheel them out. And I always thought I'd have an arranged marriage. I never Did thought, you? Never thought I'd marry a non-Indian until I did. I was like, oh, well, that was wrong. Uh, I guess I did. <laughs> no, I think um, I decided not to marry when I decided I didn't want an arranged marriage. The obvious thing to me was that I would never marry because that's yeah. how you marry. And you can't really marry a foreigner. You can sleep with them. Yeah. You can't marry them because they don't yeah. get us. And then for I thought, well, I'm not going to marry. I'm just going to have a job and have a string of boyfriends and move on with my life. But that's not what happened. I think it's, it's, it's testimony to how Indian I am that I, really? would, that I assumed I would just not marry if I wasn't going to marry the way that all my cousins had married. My parents wanted yeah. me to marry. Yeah. I didn't trust myself. I didn't think I'd pick someone. I thought my mother would be a better judge. I always did believe that. I thought well, she'd I be a better think judge. It sounds like you picked someone great. Because he is great. He is I great. Love, well, I love a Dane. Hey, I love a Dane. In fact, I love a very specific Dane. <laughs> uh. When I got to Oxford, I realized how much I love academia. Yeah. Because I was, I was, you know, there was, it's an incredible place to get into ideas. And yeah. so I decided then that I would be a professor. And my parents had a lot of respect for that because it's a very, it's, it's a very respectable, if not, remunerative profession. My yeah. mother was sad. She was like, oh, now we have to get her married to someone who is not poor. <laughs> but my dad was very much like, great. Yeah. And I wanted to study philosophy, and I was. And so I followed that, and I went to McGill to work with a certain professor. Then I went to Chicago to do my PhD with Lloyd and Susan Rudolph. But I think because I always was, had to have a fellowship, the demands then on you become very high. 
you know, you're in your early 20s, you can't let your grades drop, you have very little money, but the rest of your life is also ongoing. You see what I mean? I couldn't work abroad because I didn't have the paperwork. It, I became exhausted of having to manage not just my studies, but the whole infrastructure that I required. Yeah. Because I have, you know, I didn't take a penny from anywhere else except scholarships and fellowships. And I think I became tired. And I was young, man. I was 25. And I was exhausted. My mother was literally like, you have to marry you. The pressure she put on me to get married was incredible. And I told her off a lot later. And she said, I don't know why you're telling me off. You got married. Such a good guy. <laughs> and I was like, ugh, okay. So I think I turned, not to banking in specific, I turned to a corporate job that would give me a visa. And I became a banker. And that was a totally different life. Completely. I'd never thought I'd be in finance or corporate. No one I knew in my family was ever in, you know, a corporate job. Yeah. You've talked before, haven't you, about the, not the similarities, but how working in that world of the city prepared you for sand art. You know, I just think that's kind of almost just... We can go into this gate, it's great here. I think that's also just age, because I think what people forget yeah. is in between banking and stand-up, I, I had three kids and raised them. I was a stay-at-home mom. That's what prepares you. Yeah. For, that's what prepares you for nothing surprises you, you handle things, you multitask, but also being at home... Uh, being at home as a stay-at-home mom when you had never ever planned for that gives you great insight into shit you don't want to do. Of course I want to raise my kids, but I can't become 60 and give a shit. Just all I give a shit about is where my kids are. That, that's insane. And I wasn't raised like that. My mother went on to have a huge career. My father did. I just think my roots were not like that. And just because of circumstance and where I lived and who I married, I got into that situation. I thought, no way. What situation? You mean? Stay at home. Yeah. With kids. No career. I was like, in a foreign country. I was like, what is happening? And my husband is Danish. So what, we're going to go back to India and you'll get food poisoning and die? No. <laughs> we're going to go to Denmark and I'm going to live in the dark for six months? No. This compromise was here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Tell me, um, you met your husband when you were... At university. Oh, you were at university? So before you'd gone into banking? Yeah, he was an exchange student there. Got it. But we didn't stay together. We just dated. And then went our merry ways and then met up here again. And lo and behold, as my mother always said, you thought you went to Chicago for a PhD, you went to meet your destiny. <laughs> like, actually, it's your destiny because I got married. She said, huh, before I died, you did the correct things. You must have been considered quite a catch at Oxford. Who? You. Oh my God, no. I mean, I literally had the self-esteem of... I can't even think of something that would have had as bad self-esteem as I had. I'm trying to... I'm looking here in the grass at something. Is there something in this wet grass? No. <laughs> I had the worst self-esteem in the whole... Yeah, no, absolutely not. No, in India I was considered ugly. Especially by my mother who told me every day you are over tall, you are over dark and you are not very bright. What will we do with you? Someone has to come who doesn't have a good eyesight to marry you. And I was like nine. I'd be like, okay. Because remember in India at that time, and especially now it's changing, petite and fair and, you know, and I was dark and tall. I mean, 5'10", I was like, the circus. The circus appreciated me. But, of course, when I came to the West, yes, I, I, I understood. Mm. And I want to say this for 
every young woman that listens to this or every woman that listens to this podcast, you will only radiate the energy that you feel inside you. So when I got to Oxford, I was like, I'm unattractive. I'm, you know, I've disappointed my parents. I'm not married yet. I don't, you know, I didn't get the highest grades in math. My energy was so self-defeating that I don't think, I think boys ran in the opposite direction. Yes. And also, I didn't meet any of those boys who like basket cases. You know, those boys (laughs) exist. I didn't meet any of those, sadly. I met like really, you know, straight up smart guys who are like, this bitch is nuts. So I don't know that I was considered a catch, but I will tell you, I had, it was, it was, it was the amazing two years of my life. I did the degree in two years, not three, you know. I think I was considered quite fun and slightly mad in Oxford. Yeah, not a catch, but you know, it's like once you let a bird out of a cage, no matter how nice the cage is and how kind you are to the bird, it's a different experience for the bird. And by bird, I mean myself. Yeah. The bird from Delhi. Were you good at your job when you worked in... I was diligent. Bond trader, is that right? No, I was a salesperson. I sold bonds. I was very diligent. Yeah. But I did not have any idea what I was doing because I had not done an MBA or anything. So I was diligent. And like I said, if I put my head into something, and I had to because I didn't want to lose that job. Because I would have had to go home, no job, no husband. You got this thing from your mother, this work ethic. Come on, puppy. The idea... Cindy's not calling me puppy, by no, the way. I'm call- no, that's I'm not calling... Her, that's not her special baby name for me. No, it's my special baby name for this guy. <laughs> but I like this, this idea that it's not how talented you are, it's how you apply yourself. 100%. 100%. Was that instilled by, in you by your mother and is that something you very much instill in your kids now? My father and mother. They worked very hard. They were very... Never, you know, they worked hard. They... My father was so disciplined. They worked hard. They worked for us. They, yeah. And my mother always did everything with a smile. Um, there is no substitute for hard work. And there is no substitute for practice. Yeah. So when people say, oh, how do you get good at something? Or how do you? I, I remember I used to go to the bank on a Saturday and sit and pore over books and look at old trades to try and understand what had been happening. Because I wanted to be good at my job. I didn't want to get fired. Yeah. And my mother used to say this thing. She used to say, Karat karat tabhyas kar janmat hoi sujan rasri avad jat se silpar pade nishan which is karat karat abhyas ki by doing again and again and again. Janmat hoi sujan, your brainstem learns just like a rope going up and down the well will make a mark on the stone. Even a rope makes a mark oh, on yeah. stone. That's how powerful practice is. In 2015, I, a promoter told me in, the, in January, at the end of January 2015, first time I'd done five minutes in his club. And he called me over after and he said, how long have you been going? And I said, well, you know, I sort of did my first gig in 2012. And he said, it's interesting, you've been going this long and you've only shown up here today. And I said, well, you know, I, I don't gig that much. And he said to me, well, you're very good, but you're not going to get anywhere if you don't gig consistently. Because, really? you know, and so I took that to heart and I decided to gig twice a week, come hell or high water. And I called my mom and I said, I don't know how I'm going to pull it off because what if the kids have this and then the kids have that? And then can I go? And you know what? My mom said to me on the phone, 
शी से तुम्हें कॉमेडी करनी है इफ़ यू वॉन्ट टू डू कॉमेडी फुट इन द वर्क अदरवाइज डोंट वेस्ट माई टाइम एंड देन शी सेड आउ कम आउ कम एंड आउ गो टू आई विल गो एंड लिसन टू चिल्ड्रेन प्लेइंग पियानो एंड एनी वे देर प्लेइंग क्वाइट शिटी बट दे माई ग्रैंड चिल्ड्रेन आई डोंट माइंड यू गो एंड डू कॉमेडी एंड शी मूवड इन फॉर फोर मंथ्स टू यूर होम इन लंडन एट दी एंड ऑफ नवम्बर सो आई कुड गेग वेन वज द मोमेंट वेन यू थोट आई वॉन्ट टू गिव दिस गो बिकॉज दर्स्ट टाइम आई गॉट ऑन स्टेज आई रिमेंबर talking into the audience and they were laughing and I didn't know what was going on and I remember thinking what is this I'd never seen live stand up let alone done it and I thought I have to do this again what is this but I can't it was it was never a hobby you've got two kids at this point three you had three you'd had, had your baby, third by that yeah, point she was little did you think you were going to do that i suppose that classic sort of 80s or 90s idea of the woman in banking which is pop them out get four nannies Absolutely I was going to be MD at four kids four nannies my boss had five children she was amazing and I thought well that's what I'm going to do because why not and why didn't you I really really of all the things my parents had ever said to me and all the things I'd ever thought about myself I had not for a moment stopped to think that I would ever be so maternal that I would impl- my ambition would implode me and it did Yeah. I just I I didn't like not being around my kid which my mother pissed my mother off so badly. Sab ke hote hain bachche. Everyone has kids. It's not that special. And I was like, "Ma, but I miss him." And she was like, "Oh, you are as maternal as your father. Very irritating." <laughs> I was like, "What?" But it was easy for my father to be maternal because he didn't have to stay home and do it. Yeah, exactly. My mom did. But he was very maternal. He is very maternal, I should say. Um, and then what changed, do you think? When did you suddenly think actually, did you then start to feel okay, I need something else going on? Was that why I felt that the whole time. I mean, it wasn't like I was maternal and loved being home. I think I was feeling maybe unavailable to myself. Yeah. Because, you know, I was very available to as a mother daughter sister wife but i don't think i was available to myself and i think that was part of the imp- i mean getting on stage was not part of a plan it was some kind of insane thing to do that i you know that just happened to happen but the staying on stage i think was maybe part of that i think so you start doing comedy and then your career takes off so so quickly it feels like to me well i mean it was and it wasn't i think i think the reason it became i think i was nominated in 2018 for the newcomer prize yeah. and then things really took off you know there was all those nights of standing to wait to do 5 minutes and like every comic does i don't mind it you know in 2014 and 2015 and 2016 and, yeah. and so on and you know doing double handers in edinburgh but all of it i I enjoyed it so much. I I wasn't I didn't there there wasn't for me a moment where I thought well this has to happen so then then that other stuff will happen, do you know? Yeah. I just thought here I am on a journey. Not just journey, but I thought to me at the stage at which I was in my life to have stand up and to love it as much as I did and no pressure of scholarship or or you know having to support myself or not disappoint anyone it was like having a candle in a storm cuz there must be when you're first starting out there must be those difficult first few gigs when <laughs> like what do you mean there were so many like going on stage <laughs> promoters not being very pleasant audience yeah yeah of course but that's part of the game 
But do you think you're quite resilient then? Well, I played a lot of sport. You know, I played basketball, I rode. So if you're going to play a game, you go in for practice. You don't get to win every practice game. How would you react if someone... Are you quite good at processing shame? Or not, not processing it, as it were? You know, not letting it be... Inter- not internalising it? What am I going to feel? I mean, it'll have to be something pretty big for me to feel shame. Shame's a huge term. Like, who is going to... I mean, I think, I think I might feel like I should be better at my job if I'm on stage and people say, you're shit. I want to feel shame. Shame, I feel, if I think I've been too tough on my children and made, perhaps made them feel small. Mm. Not even shame, that's guilt. What is shame? Well, I'm trying to think. Shame. Well, shame. I think shame... I think if I behaved without integrity when it came to my husband or my close friends, then I would feel shame. Like, what the fuck? Unless I'd been drinking, in which case I'd be like, ugh, <laughs> it was the booze. Something that people have really picked up on about your material, you talk a lot about parenting, and I think the reason people like it is you're astonishingly and brilliantly honest and you don't do this whole hashtag blessed thing oh my god do you know what i mean has anyone tried to raise three little kids you're not blessed you're distressed hashtag distressed blessed that's the most stupid thing i've ever heard i see it all the time i'm like huh it's there's a fetishizing of motherhood do you think so Uh, absolutely it's a fetishizing and by the way if you are blessed great But that doesn't mean, listen, let me put it to you this way. If you are feeling blessed by being a mother, great. But that's you, not motherhood. Motherhood doesn't come immediately with blessings. You are the one, you are processing it in that way. Hashtag bless, hashtag distress. You did recently, I don't normally promote other podcasts, but I'm going to make an exception because Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe. Oh, that was a fun one to do. They're two of my favourite boys, and I love that podcast. I love doing that with them. It's called... um, It was Lockdown Parenting, Lockdown Parenting, or Parenting Lockdown, and it's absolutely brilliant. I really recommend you check it out. But what I love was their response when you were saying... (laughs) Rob was like, oh, do you play with the kids? Um, And you went, I don't play with my children. (laughs) What do you mean? I mean... But it got me thinking that, Cindy, because I had a, a, some thoughts on that. And tell me, do you have kids? No, I don't have kids, but I have my sister. My, my sister, sadly, she's no longer with us, but she had kids. Oh. And she was quite, they were very young when she died. Oh, God, so are I, they okay? No, but I, what's lovely is oh. that I've got a relationship with them, so I've sort of had to learn. Nice. I didn't have, I had no idea about that. No, it's a weird thing. But I've learned with Bertie, my niece that I was really struck by what you said because I've come a bit sort of new to it and I realised that actually um, what's better is if genuinely if she says do you want to play this and I don't want to I don't think there's any point me sitting there joylessly going through the motions which I think she'll pick up on I say I don't like um, Frozen Game but I like Jigsaws can we do that together? Yeah, and also I think what people forget is that if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're 24-7 yeah. with your kids. And so at some point you're like, I'm not fucking doing this anymore, man. We're going to watch Law and & Order, and when the dead body comes, you're going to put a cushion in front of your eyes, okay? That's what's going to happen now, because I can't handle it anymore, man. Those are the facts. I mean, those are the facts. I mean, if I was doing it once in a while, maybe I'd put my shit aside. It's all the time. 
I mean, my kids are watching Law and Order so early in life because it comes on in the daytime. They came home from nursery in the middle of the day. I was like, oh my God, I had two little ones. What a vomiting on me, you know, was shitting itself. I was like, okay, right, okay, fine. And also I had this thing where I was like, I love them, but I don't love this. So I was like, fine, here's what's gonna happen. Everyone's gonna have the, and also, have you ever tried to feed little kids? Yeah. And then the food is here, it's in their ears, it's on your ears. You're like, oh God, all right, okay, fine. Everyone settle down. And when this is done, I'm gonna sit yeah. and you can watch, I think it's called Five Gold on the television. Uh-huh. I'm gonna watch Law and Order. It was my favorite show when I was at university. You two, then the little one used to sleep. So I say, you sleep. And then my son, I would say, we're gonna watch a show. There's some bad stuff. If I go like this, he'd say, okay, mama. So he had his toy, you know, whatever, Thomas the Tank and Wilfred and whatever those things are called and fat controller and all that jazz. And then every once in a while, I'd be like, dun, dun, dun. And they'd be like, oh, there's a dead body. I'd be like, close your eyes. And he'd go like this. And then we'd watch the show and it was great. I don't see how, that, like, is, does that make sense though? It makes sense. <laughs> In order for kids to be who they want to be without you, if you want any surplus when your kids are being who they want to be, mm. you have to create space for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's just, because otherwise then your spouse comes home and as it is, they're so annoying. And then they come home and you want to take all that shit out on them. Yeah. Then your marriage is not working, the children's food is in your ears, you haven't seen law and order. What's going on? <laughs> what is going on? I have several very dear friends who are, have been able to put their children so centrally in the front. I admire them. I don't envy them. I admire them because I think, and their kids are doing very well. Mm. And they don't get angry that much at their kids. You know, I, my kids didn't do as well as them. I was constantly shouting at my kids. And yeah, you know, like you, they, they come for play dates and it's evening and it's six and you're like, should we have a gin and soda? And they're like, no, I'm like, Ugh. you know, it's, I, I admire those friends of mine because I think they, I think they're more, and I, so to, I think seriously what it is, is they're more at peace in general with themselves. I don't think I've ever been at peace in that way with myself. There's always something until I found comedy. And when I found comedy, I thought, everyone's perfect, this is perfect. So now when I meet them, they say they don't want gin and soda and rather than having a judgment call about myself or them, I have a double gin and soda (laughs) and I enjoy their company and I think we're all fine. But it's only after I came to comedy and I think because that to me, comedy is where I I feel seen, I feel heard both by myself and others. So I don't need other people to be a certain way so I feel comfortable. Yes, I see that. I have a theory, Cindy, that I think... I love theories. Oh, good. Good, tell me, because, I'm dying to know now. Uh, I like your theories. Shut up, I'm watching Law and Order. It's your theory. Just look, close your eyes, there's a dead body coming. And by the way, we're not watching Law and Order SVU, which is special victims. It's only rape and incest because you're too young for that. We're just watching regular shooting and dying. Just close your eyes. And by the way, people say, I took my eight-year-old son to see James Bond. Well, hello. There also has sex in that. There's too much. I'm just watching Law and Order, all right? So just take it easy. In fact, the baby thinks it's boring, the youngest. She's like, oh, not Law and Order again. But I think some people have, I call it the look at me gene. And oh, I yeah. think it's about saying, look, I, I'm doing the show. 
Hi, Mum and Dad, it's the Sindhu V show. Yeah. You know, it's like you've got something in you. For sure. For sure. Oh, look I at this little one, Sindhu. So beautiful. Little palm. You've got a tour coming up. You, have you had to put the tour on hold because uh, of COVID? Well, the tour was supposed to start this autumn. Obviously, couldn't do that. So now it's been shifted to May mm. 2021. It's on. I'm so coming. Can Please I bring can... Bola? We'll sit in the front. Okay. I mean, I can't say no to Bola, can I? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's May 2021. And while we're on the topic, I should say tickets are on sale on my oh, website, sindubi.com. Yes. It's 50 dates so far all over the UK. Exciting. Um, I know. It's very exciting. And what's, Can you tell me a bit about what this show will be? Alphabet. So, the, yeah. So, the show is called Alphabet. Yeah. And this show is... It wasn't at all about Corona because we didn't have Corona when I started writing it. But now I think there'll be some insights about Corona, a few. Not about Corona, like the disease. I'm not a scientist about what it meant for me. One of the things in the show is what I call GFD. What's that? Girlfriend divorce. <laughs> you know, when you get to that part in your life where you've had these girlfriends your whole life and they're so close to you, but you get to a certain point and you think, my standards have been too low too low you know but I love you but my standards have been very low because your self-esteem is higher because you've gotten to know yourself better then you look around you think how have I managed with you for 25 years you're rubbish and I think that is a point you think can I divorce this girlfriend but you can't but you should but it's a complicated moment so there's that in there for sure I love girlfriend divorce yeah GFD you know you we've all done it well or you've thought about it have you done it Yes, but then we got back I together. Get, oh, do oh my you? God, it was, it was not divorce, it was separation. We were separated for five years, almost died. And this show is more autobiographical. Is it? Uh, directly autobiographical, I would say. But not because I'm like, oh, I have had this great life. No, it's just like the stories are more about me and how I got here. Oh, 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 oh how cute. <laughs> well. Bowler's response, listeners, I want you to know, Bowler's response to every single dog is to freeze Bowler, and to push his eyeballs out another that. two inches, which is really amazing that he can do that without them falling out. Oh, come here, Bowler. It turned. Yeah. I didn't like that dog. No. Did you say No, and it? also it was so snow white and like it was like one of those things you want to pick up and take your makeup <laughs> off with it. And then it just becomes a savage Cujo. You know, Stephen King, that demented Rottweiler stuck in a car became Cujo. Meanwhile, Bowler's <laughs> reaction was, huh? The whole time. Did you see that? Bola was like, huh? You didn't understand what the bad doggy was it saying. Was that, it was like in Jurassic Park. And they, they go over to that nice creature and it goes... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was horrible. So anyway, so, so your that, show, so there's Alphabet. The, and why so have you called it Alphabet then? I can't tell you. Oh, I I'll find out on the night. You will find out on the night. People never knew why I called my first show Sandhog. And then they found out and they were like, oh. Alphabet's the same way. You know, a lot of people are quite frightened to say, I don't know this, or... And I love the way that you were saying, I didn't know who Billy Connolly was. I didn't know who Eddie Izzard was. I, I, I didn't know, and I'd never seen stand-up, I'd never, because I was always a Thomas the Tank. You have to, have to appreciate, I came here, I went into banking, I had no TV, <laughs> no time to do anything. There was no Netflix, there was no mobile phones, you know? I got a banana phone through the office. <laughs> then I had children, and it was all Thomas the Tank, and that, what's that? Her grandfather dances like, oh, Peppa Pig, the grandfather dances <laughs> like this. Have you seen that? It's ridiculous. 
So I didn't know because I had not ever seen it live. I didn't used to watch TV. I used to go out in the evening with my husband if he had any energy. Otherwise, I would read, I'd read the kids, putting kids to bed, taking them to school, do this. In my free time, I went home to India. I stand up was I mean I went to view cinema and watched movies all right I watched all the Mission Impossibles and you know, all that stuff but I didn't watch stand up it wasn't a genre I knew of I had a DVD of Eddie Murphy so if I was to say that I didn't I was not saying it out of any hubris I genuinely had a lot to learn yeah and you know and I and I'm I mean but what a joy at that age with three kids to be like there's this entire world that I'm dying to learn about and it was such a I would go to pick up the kids at school and just be on my phone watching YouTube clips in the car. And did you not tell anyone that you I were doing nobody. it? I told nobody. I told nobody when I did first Did you not? Started. Not my husband, nobody. Why? Because I wanted something for myself. Your husband must be so proud of you. I, I think he wishes I didn't talk about him that much because he's Does very he? private. Yeah. He sees this as something that I'm doing and I'm going to do. So there's no... We have a lot of respect for each other's ambition. Always have had. We're very good friends. Are you easy to live with? It depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I think yes, but <laughs> I would say, I would say the kids not so much. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You, you'd have to ask someone else. Obviously, I think I'm easy and wonderful to live with. But you know, I'm pretty easygoing about. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I think I you'd think be kids, really yeah. good fun as a mom. I can be, but I think I, I'm also very strict and I won't tolerate bad grades, so that's hard on them. I won't tolerate it. So I've, to, I've, I've been known to say to them, if that's the grade you have, you're going to have to find a house where this works. Get out. Go and find a house where these grades work because they don't work here. I think it was, if it wasn't for their father, they would you know, be very more, I would say, psychologically conflicted. But I think my husband's like, ugh, it's fine. She's, you know. But we've found a medium. Uh, medium because to be honest my husband is not someone who is not ambitious or hasn't achieved a lot himself but he's just done it like in a regular way without his you know without threatening <laughs> I'm, our marriage is a bit like if Mr. Spock from Star Trek had married Jack Nicholson from The Shining and I'm Jack Nicholson but I don't think that's I think most people are like yeah that makes sense because Danes are very rational you know they're very very rational and also they don't put any expectations of on their children their children just have to exist and I'm like what eating sleeping and shitting is not what they're here for <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> so that's you know but we've found a happy I think I think respect is it's it's a weird word to use but I think if you have respect for your partner's w way of thinking yes and, I see that and ambition you don't have to agree with it but you have respect for it yes. then a long-term partnership will go through things, but there will be certain bits that no one has ever feels has been intruded upon. Mm, mm. I think until you can see the boundaries of your own self, you can't see the boundaries of another person. And that's, I think, you know, I think I've been a, I've been a better partner since I've started comedy because I've seen my boundaries. I've been a better friend. Uh, yeah, I see that. I tell you, I think that makes a lot of sense. And also, you're feeling. I think when you feel you're living an authentic life as well, I think yeah. that's important. You're doing what you feel you were meant to do. Well, without ever knowing. One of my therapists, yeah. and I have several, um, I have two at the moment. Anyway, one of them said to me, it's interesting to see a person self-actualize. Yeah, yeah. Because it's very, there's a lot of contentment in that. And I was like, 
Wow. So I checked in with my dad. I'm like, does that mean I'm enlightened? He said, uh, absolutely not. Self-actualization and, and, and enlightenment are very different things. I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I, uh, I'm interested because I always ask if people have had therapy. And, oh, uh, oh, my God, so much. I have two therapists right now, two different ones. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you have different shit. Not everyone can take care. I'm very. I have. I have a lot of panics and phobias. So I have a. Do you? Yeah. So I have a cognitive therapist who says. Like a CBT. So and my mother was a therapist. I was getting therapy without consent for so long. <laughs> Do you find it helpful? Huge. I'm a huge fan of good therapy. I think when you're feeling the best in your life, you must go to a therapist. That's when you should go. Interesting. Because then you're Why going you for insight, that? not for fixing. You're going for insight. And self-knowledge is the greatest knowledge because from there you say, oh, okay. But also you find out, I'm this, I am such an asshole, oh God, I should try and change this. But when you're feeling broken, you can't, that's not the moment to realize you're an asshole. It's when you feel yeah. great about yourself, then you go and you look at things, you think, yeah, I'm a dick. Oh, <laughs> better change that. And so I think that just is a more enhanced way of living. I think, I remember one time, there was this young lady I knew, young girl, young woman, and she was tutoring one of my friend's kids, and she would have, and she would have this see-through water bottle with a black thing in it, black piece of something. And I said, what oh, is yeah. this? And she said, it's charcoal-activated water. And I think going to therapy when you're in a good place is to activate something in yourself. Because who doesn't want to be super present and super aware yeah. without LSD, you know? You know, people are LSD say, oh, the yellow was so yellow and the green was so green. I don't need the LSD. I want to just have that anyway. And to do that, you have to get out of your way. And for that, you need a therapeutic insight. Do you cry a lot? Oh, I almost cried three times on this walk. You just didn't notice because I know how to hold it back. I was like, it's not going to go well. Just keep it. Keep your shit together, man. <laughs> three times almost on this walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, just keep your shit together, Sindhu, come on. Oh no, I feel terrible. No, it's oh, not your I, fault. Made you I think some topics, they're on our lips and they're on our tongue, but they live in our hearts. So when you pull those out, there's that little moment of opening, and I think tears can come from that. I love that though. Yeah, I think people think everything lives up here, but some things live in here. I think sometimes though, when people. I, like if someone asks me about my sister, for example, I feel myself getting tearful and, and then I always say to people, I don't want you to feel bad because that's my, that's my, that's like an honour to her that I remember Absolutely. her. Absolutely. And you, I'm sure you have that with your mum, you oh, know. with my mum, but I was telling you about Torchy. And yeah. I remembered my nine-year-old yeah. Torchy the dog. I remember being nine and calling to him and having no idea that death was a thing. Mm. And then realising in 15 minutes that it's a thing. I think when you're nine, and he was my only friend. You don't understand, I had no friends. I had this dog. And I remember coming home and my dad explaining to me what meningitis was. And then the only dog we had was the one who bit me all the time. And the whole thing was a disaster. But what a lot for a nine-year-old. Look, also in our culture, crying is a big thing. Mommy used to cry 10 times a day. I mean, it was like, God damn. She would make, she'd say, I do this, no, I'm going to cry. Then something, they'd say, oh, the children are so lovely, they're so fair, not like you, then she'd cry. She <laughs> cried about everything all the time. It's such an important way to feel human. I think you're quite a direct person, Sindhu. People say that. Are you? Yeah. But I mean, I'm direct in the sense, I'm not, in Denmark, people are direct and they say things like, this food smells bad. And you're like, 
you know, like they say directly what they want. Right. Well, I'm not direct like that, but I am. I'm very honest, and if I, I I'll, I'll find a way to make sure that you that people know exactly what I'm thinking, provided it's not disruptive. Because I'm also a peacekeeper. You know what I mean? I mean, not in my home necessarily, but I am a peacekeeper. Like, if there's something big going on in a group, and I'm part of that group, and there's lots of oh, ah, well, I'll stand back and watch. Will you? And keep my opinions to myself, unless I'm asked. Oh, Sindhu, I've so enjoyed our walk. I've kept you for ages, but okay. I really love hanging fun. out with you. Just talked about me the whole time. But well, as my mother used point. to say, you're quite a bitch. I don't know how he can handle you, your husband. You are sometimes bitch and sometimes you are bitch on wheels. And I was like, what is a bitch on wheels? She would say extra bitch. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks, ma. Did she love your husband? Oh, my God, worshipped him. Worshipped him. <laughs> oh. She used to say, he is gem. He's one golden gem. And I used to say, you know what? Gold and gem are different. Just keep your stupid English to yourself. He knows his worth. I know my worth. I know his worth. I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> I sometimes, I don't do this often, Sindhu. I've probably done it about twice before. But sometimes I really embarrass myself. And I say to the guest, I'd really like to be your friend. Let's be friends. That'd be so great. Oh, my God, of course. Why not? I mean, but like you're, like you're, you know, because you're kind of a grown-up and I like that. <laughs> I like that. I, because a lot of people in comedy are younger than me, yeah, you know, and yeah. I love them, but they're all like, no. uh, I have a housemate who I don't know and they don't wash the dishes and I'm like, huh? Like that's so outside my world of experience. Oh, my mm-hmm. housemate, a.k.a. my husband, and I have worked out the dishwashing scheme. Your parents would have approved of me as a friend. I've got a Mercedes I bought myself. My mother would have. Oh. She would say, this is one woman with power and Mercedes. I was a banker and I bought a Prius when I first got a car. Yeah. And my mother came and she, and she spent a little bit, like, she, like a few days, she figured it out. And I came home one day from dropping the kids. And I walked in. She said, Tumhe sharam nahi aati. have you no shame? And I was like, what do you mean? She said, you, you have been banker. Husband is also in finance. And you want me to come here and go around in your turta? at least have BMW. And I was like, I, I'm not buying a BMW. I said, it's ecological. She said, ha, ha, ecological. You have taken whole contract of ecology of the world with your shitty car. I'm not going this car. I want BMW. And I was like, I'm not getting a BMW. She hated the Prius. Did she? Hated it. She used to say, I said, I said, let's go have a coffee. She would say, yeah, let's go in your shitty car. I'm like, it's the only, and then my husband had a Porsche. And she said, see, this is God has finally heard my prayer because my son-in-law is having one porche for me to go in places. And she couldn't get in it because it was so low and she was so fat. She was like, I cannot, I'm sitting on road, but it's porche. I like, you have to stop calling it porche, mommy. I just want to say one thing to your podcast before you said it and I'm going to forget. As a Hindu and all Hindus, we believe that dogs remember their last births. So that's why they're so happy to be with us because they know, they know why they're with us because we don't remember our last births, but they do. And my Nepali ayah also used to teach me that the reason dogs always lie where you have to step over them is because they have so much debt to us that they're trying to cancel out their debt by always being around your feet. So that's that in their next life, they Look, can that's be free. Cry. Isn't, that Isn't that beautiful though? So Bowler knows he had to come to us and nowhere else, but oh, he can't Bola. tell us. But that's why you love us. Oh, I've kept you so long, but I could... Honestly, I don't. I might. Well, we're going to be friends now, so you can't get rid of me. 
Yeah, but I, you know what's making me sad? Your mum's never going to know that no. you had a nice friend with a Mercedes. Wait, no, a lady. <laughs> lady with Mercedes, her own money, and so she spits on men too. <laughs> like, I'm not sure she's... Okay. Everything my mother was like, oh, no, that that's boy. right. No, she, would, she would always say, see, she has her own money and her own power, and the men come and she kicks them. I'm like, I don't... She was so virulent about women being, like, better. It was nuts. Oh, she was ahead of her time. I've loved she was, she today. Was, so have I. I've loved meeting Bola. I've loved meeting you, Cindy. I really would love to come and see your show. I'm going to. Come. come. Um, and if anyone wants to get tickets, I'll be putting this at the beginning of the podcast, all the information about it. But your website, again, is... Sinduvi.com. And you can book tickets through there. Uh-huh. Best thing to do. Thank you, Bola. Bola, say bye. Bye-bye, Bola. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.